so week one, we talked about strength and waiting. Uh, specifically, we talked about how our lives can be intertwined with the Lord and even in our own weaknesses. His strength shines through and it gives us the endurance and the perseverance that we need in times of waiting. Um, last week, we talked about uh, the stumps, so to speak, that stand in the way. These, uh, these things that impede Christ's presence in our lives on a regular basis. In the time of Advent, it is a celebration of, of, of Christ's first coming. And it is also a time for us to look ahead to his second coming. I've heard those as um, Christ coming 1.0 and Christ coming 2.0. But there's also a Christ 1.5, which is right here with us now. And in many ways that he comes to us throughout the day. And, uh, and last week was just kind of acknowledging maybe we have some things in our lives that, that interfere with us being able to connect with the God with us on a daily basis. And, and today, if you hadn't figured it out, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about joy. And um, this, is a, this is a hard one for me. Can I just say that? Um, if, uh, I think there are some people that have maybe a, a, you might have a real natural optimistic outlook. I am a, a half glass full of poison and uh, a <laughs> person. No, just kidding. Um, but I want us to, to understand, too, it's not just I'm, I'm kind of naturally a happy person. Um, there is joy that's available for, for all of us and for each of us. And um, we're going to look at the passage that the Ezels were reading uh, from Philippians 4. If you want to, if you got a Bible app or Bible, you want to turn to that. It's Philippians 4, 4 through 7. And uh, just a little bit of background as we jump into kind of the latter part of that letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. Um, Acts 16 actually gives us a little bit of background when, when Paul visited there. Uh, the, this letter was probably written about uh, 10 years after his visit. He wrote it from prison. And uh, interestingly, it has a theme of joy all throughout this book even though we're going to be looking at a small part of it. So Acts 16 gives us a little bit of background that the, uh, the first convert to Christianity, the first person to choose to follow Christ in Philippi was an influential uh, businesswoman by the name of Lydia. Um, Paul is also, we read this in Acts, um, there was a demon-possessed woman that annoyed Paul for days, and eventually um, he calls out and he frees this woman from her inner bondage. Um, kind of a long story, but it, it creates an economic crisis for the people that were closely associated with her. So Paul gets thrown in jail. And uh, not where he wrote this letter, but he gets thrown in jail for this. And then an earthquake hits. And he could have escaped, but instead of escaping, he calls out to the jailer, leads that jailer to faith in Christ. And before the night is over, he and the jailer end up telling the jailer's family, and they are all saved and baptized. So this is the beginning of the church. An influential businesswoman, a formerly demon-possessed woman who's given her life to Christ, and a Roman soldier in his family. So when Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, he is writing to those people and others who at this point, uh, over the course of 10 years, have continued to, to grow in their faith. Um, Paul wrote several of the letters for us in the New Testament, and I think it's interesting in Philippians, there's something a little bit different. 
Um, it, it, well, all letters, and it, you may have noticed this, they, they begin with who wrote the letter. If you were going to write a letter to someone, you would say here and their name, and then at the end you would give them your name. Just the, that suspense. They don't know who this is from. Who is it? Yeah. Um, the, uh, um, and that day they would begin with who they were. I don't know if it was to save the unrolling of the scroll or what. Uh, but that was customary in that day to begin by introducing yourself as the writer of the letter. Typically, Paul would, would introduce himself as apostle, um, as the uh, called by the Lord. Um, he would kind of list his credentials. But this letter in particular, he didn't start that way. He said, I'm Paul, a fellow servant. It's not like you, you don't need to call me mister. You don't need to call me reverend. Um, I don't worry about all that apostle stuff. Uh, I'm your buddy Paul, and I miss you. And we can tell just from the tone of this letter that he is writing to some people he's just really good friends with, and he misses them. So kind of have that in mind. If, if this is a, uh, I know this is a biblical text, but just imagine this as, as Paul, a very good, dear friend of these people, just pouring out his heart and writing to these people. And I want to read uh, these verses again that uh, Patrick, I think you were the one that read these for us. Thank you. Um, they did say, the Azel said that they practiced this using several different accents um, over the last few days. I'm a little disappointed that we didn't get some of those accents. <laughs> that would be great. Um, but I'd like to, uh, to read this and then to give you a, just a few moments of silence afterwards uh, before we come jump into things. And, and this is something I know that many of you do on a daily basis. You'll read a passage of scripture and just kind of sit with it in silence. And it's a way to open yourself up to uh, the ways that God might speak to you. Um, because I think it's great to know that um, God might have a word for you that doesn't come out of my mouth. It could just be something in the silence. So let me read this and then uh, just open yourself up to how God might speak to you as this is being read. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. say thank you for preserving this letter for us. I know Paul wrote it to people that he was really deeply connected to, but I got to believe that one reason you preserved this letter is because uh, you were deeply connected to us and we are deeply connected to you. And you have um, just a way that you want to speak to us and show your love to us through this. Uh, so um, in these next few moments, we open our hearts to you we ask that you would speak to us in a way that does so much more than inform us, but actually transforms us. May we, may we be people who walk out um, changed from the inside, filled with true joy. In your name I pray. Amen. Um,
As I mentioned, this uh, this passage is uh, it's often that Philippians is considered one of Paul's um, most thorough writings on joy. The words joy and rejoice um, occur twelve times in this brief letter, and uh, so I, we could kind of zoom in on just those verses. But I kind of want us to zoom out for like the thirty thousand foot view um, of all of Scripture and what it has to say about joy and rejoicing. Um, not that I'm, we're not going to read all of those references um, because there's pie, and we, we want to make sure we get we get all the things here. But um, I'm going to read just a few things that the Bible has to say in general about joy, and then specifically three places where we can find joy. And you may be surprised by those by those three places to find joy. If you're not surprised, just look surprised. Can you do that? Okay. So the first thing I want us to, to note that the Bible makes very clear is that joy is available. It really is. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. Because sometimes joy can feel like a pipe dream. Um, Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. So it's, not only is he making joy available, this is telling us that there can be fullness of joy, and it is found in the presence of God. And so, okay, where, where is God's presence? One of my favorite verses in, uh, uh, is in Psalm 139. And uh, the psalmist begins by asking a rhetorical question about where can you find God? Where is God's presence? David wrote, uh, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So the answer to where is God and where can we find joy? God is everywhere. And with him is joy. So we have an opportunity to experience joy everywhere and in all circumstances. Um, if you find yourself, maybe you're at a crossroads in life, what if joy was kind of your, your compass for making decisions? What if you allowed, what, what would bring you the deepest joy as you enter into God's presence based upon the decision you make? Um, I, I know uh, the map feature on my phone, I, I'll put a destination in, and sometimes it gives me like three different options. One of them is a little darker blue than the others, and, and they're usually divided up by, by time. Can you imagine if you had several, this, where do I go in life? What if God gave you a map, and the one that was like lit up with joy is the one you chose? The one that's like, I want to choose the path of joy. I believe that... Um, Joy can, can be that kind of an inner compass for us. So not only is joy found in God, it's also found in us. Listen to uh, uh, Jesus' words in John uh, 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So not only do we find joy in God's presence, God puts joy in us. 
And so if, if everywhere I go, there's joy, and um, Jesus has put his joy, the fullness of his joy in me, it's like somehow he crammed all of that in me, my question is, why is joy so elusive? Why do I have um, so many situations in life where I, it's obvious to myself and maybe to the people around me that joy is missing? And so uh, I want us to just real quickly to look at three settings in which we can find and experience this joy. Um, and this was just kind of like I said, I did kind of a word search in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and, and just trying to pick out what, what's going on around these stories of joy. And one of the themes that popped up was uh, joy often accompanied meals. Meals. Um, so before we go too much further into reading a passage of scripture, um, think about this. And I'll have you, uh, give you an answer on that too. Uh, think about your last week, the last seven days. Has there been a meal that you had or that you shared with someone that was especially joy-filled for you? Is there one? Let me tell you about one while you're thinking. Um, I got to hang out with the Carnahan Courtney group on Tuesday, and we had uh, some amazing pot roast and all kinds of side dishes, and just a really good time of hanging out together, doing life. It was it was a time of joy for me. How about you? When in the last week have you experienced joy surrounding a meal? Very good. Uh, sushi in Tustin with friends. Sushi, all right. Sushi with friends, great. Oh, Wendy. <laughs> This is the first use of the word joy or rejoicing in the Bible. 
and says this. Um, uh, it's kind of this is a to, to set it up. This is kind of some instructions on the, the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles, which is their way of remembering um, in a celebratory way how how God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Leviticus 23, on the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord. Bring it on, seven days of nonstop eating. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord, and don't worry about weight gain. And on the eighth day... <laughs> the uh, Gary Taylor wishful version. Um, and on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. Seven days feasting and celebrating and remembering. So the first time um, that rejoice is used in Scripture, it's, it, it's directly tied to feasting and to a meal. Um, so it. Another, uh, not too long after that, in Nehemiah chapter 8. Um, so this is the situation that's going on um, in, at the time of this writing. The people of Israel uh, rebelled, disobeyed. Um, Jerusalem, their city was trashed, just devastated. And at this point, they're beginning to kind of move back into Jerusalem. And all around them, what they see is devastation. And they also realize this devastation is because of their disobedience, their own rebellion. And Nehemiah said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to make great rejoicing. Now, does that sound kind of weird after what I just described their setting was? Um, what that reminds me of is, uh, how many of you have been to or participated in a vow renewal? So somebody, a married couple, doing that, okay? This is something that Beth and I have I talked about doing, and I think we're looking at doing it um, for our 25th. But it's, it's interesting, the times that I've been able to, to help uh, like officiate these um, people that are renewing their vows. Um, it, it hasn't necessarily been because this is a certain anniversary as much as they came through a really tough time and, and they want to just kind of drive a stake in the ground. And, and it's an opportunity for them to do that. So, so kind of with that marriage analogy, see, Israel is, was the bride. And God was the groom, and Israel was unfaithful. And by leading Israel back to Jerusalem, God was this groom saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to renew my vows to you. And if you can picture this groom grinning from ear to ear, face hurting from smiling so hard, radiating joy, saying, I love you, if I could do this again, I'd do it every time. I love you. Now, if you had someone looking at you and saying that, could you rejoice? Could you rejoice in the Lord? 
So that's the picture that Nehemiah gives, that the Lord is our strength. And then what did they do after that? They celebrated with the best of food and drink. Joy with meals. Um, the second one is uh, joy and suffering. In other words, this, this is the joy that nobody wants, okay? <laughs> this is the one that's just like, let's just go back to the meal. Uh, that would be, um, unless you cook like I do, and then the meal and suffering kind of go in. Um, so Hebrews 12, 2 says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That verse for the longest time just made me feel guilty. Like I, I complain about my hangnails in life and he is, you know, he found joy in this very gruesome form of execution. And I can't muster up a little bit of joy just to get through traffic right now. And then it, kind of with the, some teaching that some people gave me, is it just made the point that Jesus was not overjoyed for his pain. In fact, Jesus modeled for us through that event that um, it's okay to express pain because the pain is real, to express how it makes us feel. Um, it's, it's, he's not saying uh, to force yourself to sing a happy, happy, joy, joy song. Um, I am really looking forward to a week from tonight in this room and the way that the, the Blue Christmas one-hour retreat that we're going to have in here is going to be an opportunity for us to recognize some pain, um, but at the same time, uh, to recognize that joy comes with suffering, but it's, a not, it's not a joy for the pain. It's a joy for the benefits of enduring and suffering through the pain. James 1 Verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the end result of that is something that we can be joyful about. Perseverance, maturity, wholeness. Um, this is one that I I see so many examples of just in this room. Those of you who have made sacrifices who are currently making sacrifices as you care for family members, as you are loving on neighbors, as you yourself are going through really difficult and challenging times, there is a joy that you have. I want you to know that's contagious. I know it's not easy, but it, it is something that um, it just, it grabs our attention when we see that in spite of those things, through the suffering and the pain, that there is a joy that God has given you in the midst of that. And I want to say I want, I want more of that in my life too. So we don't rejoice, obviously, for pain, but for the good it produces. And then uh, very quickly, the third is future joy. And this one probably fits uh, as the most direct application for Advent. Um, joy, I mentioned that joy was first mentioned in Leviticus. Now I'm going to read the last, uh, the final time that joy is mentioned. Not surprisingly, it's in Revelation 19. 
Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Then the angel said to me, write the following, Blessed are those who are invited to the banquet, to the banquet at the wedding celebration of the Lamb. The Bible promises this advent, this second coming, and we can live with joy as we look ahead to this future coming. And this, this passage kind of brings us full circle. Because this is talking about joy at a wedding feast. Joy in a meal. It's talking about this lamb, Jesus, who suffered for us. And it's pointing to the future. All of that tied in with joy. Um, Max, Sabido, and I uh, got together on Wednesday. We were hanging out and um, we just kind of read a couple passages of scripture and we sit with it and we share what God's put on our heart. And this Philippians passage is the one that we sat with this last Wednesday. And the more we talked, the more it, it dawned on us that uh, we needed to express gratitude. And so we, we spent some time uh, just talking about things that we were grateful for. And then we agreed because it was it was doing something in us so much. Hey, let's, the rest of this week, just let's text each other and share what, what we're thankful for. And you would not be able to read that string without smiling. Just, it, not that they were big over the top things, but it's just like, way to go, God. Some good stuff. Good stuff happening. Um, just with, as we were getting started, Tony, what is it that you say you do every morning? The, the three things? Oh, um, what I'm letting go of, what I'm grateful for, and what I'm going to focus on. Yeah, what a beautiful way to start your day. It includes gratitude with that. Um, so then I, I did a little bit of um, kind of research. One of the lectionary commentaries for this passage says, the pursuit of happiness is often a search for something we don't have. Joy when paired with gratitude, is a recognition of what we already have because gratitude is the root of all joy. Joy and gratitude closely linked. Practicing gratitude invites joy into our lives. It's not joy that makes us grateful. It's gratitude that makes us joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Um, I want to say that, uh, Doug, um, thank you for what you shared earlier, um, encouraging people to gather on um, December 26th. But the one thing I would change is we have brunch every Sunday. <laughs> this is kind of our way of coming together around the table, and we celebrate. We celebrate. And this um, should bring joy as we remember the suffering and the sacrifice of Christ as he looked ahead to what that would mean for us. 
and we are reminded that as we as a family place our faith in him, that we have that future joy waiting for us in heaven. So as a way to prepare for our time together around the table, I just uh, invite you to settle in for just a moment and start telling God the things that you're grateful for. There's some things that you're grateful for just in the last 24 hours. Things in the last week, maybe. They don't have to be big, but just something that reflecting on it, you're remembering. Begin to express what you are thankful for. Let me pray, and you can continue to reflect on that, and then when you're ready, um, you can make your way to the table. Father, we, of course, are thankful. We, um, we recognize that even the name Eucharist has to do with giving thanks. So we partake of this holy brunch because um, we are grateful for what you offer us. And may, may the taste of this be a taste of true joy. I pray this in your name.